0: This book is unlike any other book in the entire world, for every single word in this book is true and holy. John, chapter 1, verses 19 through 34. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. That he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God.
1: Let us pray. O oh, gracious Lord, we we thank you for your grace to us and giving yourself so freely to us in death your resurrection was for us. Your ascension is for us. Your intercession at the right hand is for us. Your reign is for us. Your coming is for us. Lord, we stand amazed when you yourself paint the picture. And challenge the limits of our understanding when spoke to the disciples and said that who is the greater, the one who waits at the table, the one who sits at the table. And yet you said in eternity you will be the one who waits on us. Lord, you're demonstrating that your greatness is that you always have resources for your people who have no resources. And in that sense, you serve our needs for we are needy. And we have nothing of ourselves. And in your limitless love, you constantly pour out goodness for us, needy sinners. And this will be forever and ever. Forever, you will reveal the limitless kindness of God to us. And therefore, glorify your great name. Oh, Lord, we pray that we all the more this morning. We'll find in you all that we need every day, all that we seek in the end every day. The one for whom we are living in every single thing we do. And we seek no satisfaction in anything or anybody apart from Jesus Christ. And Lord, even as we come to your word. We remember our brothers who are in Iraq, and Lord, we pray that you would bless these men, and we pray that you would uphold them, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would sustain them with your presence, that you would grant them your peace, and oh Lord, protect them, protect them, we pray, and bring them home be restored to their families. Bless them, Lord. And now, bless us as we seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look, if you're on page 1069. in Oh, no, no, no. Wrong. Uh, I'm looking at my own personal Bible. That'll help you a lot, won't it? <clears throat> um But back where we were in in John chapter one, uh, if you want to take the Bible that you have in the pew there, eight eighty six. We're going to look at verse twenty nine. Behold, the Lamb of God, John says, who takes away the sin of the world. One thing that became clear in the first part of this passage was that. John would have no nothing to do with any association of himself as being Christ or somebody like Christ. He simply said, I am the voice pointing and my baptism was simply for the point of introducing this other one. I am not even worthy. To be the one. Who unties his strap. That's significant because followers of a teacher were to do anything the teacher said except that lowliest thing to untie the strap of their sandal. There was a limit, you see, to your servanthood as a disciple of a teacher. And he said, rather than um, that's too low for me, he said, that's too high for me. I'm not even worthy to do that thing that a follower wouldn't even be called on to do. That's how great this one is. So all attention is focused on this one who is to come. And he has this phrase, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I hope that every one of us would be vitally interested in that phrase takes away the sin of the world. This could mean. Lift up and raise up in this way, or it can mean bear it off. Either way, it shows the complete removal. And in the full sense of that word, it means that the punishment and guilt of sin will be removed. He will take it away. It means that the power and influence of sin in our lives will finally be utterly taken away. It means in the end that the very presence and curse of sin in our lives and in this world will be utterly removed. And for that reason, every person in here should be so vitally interested in this announcement of John. This is the one that takes all sin away. That means also. All pain is removed from this one. This is the only one by whom all pain and all evil and all hurt. And all misery in this world and grief is taken away by this one. And so we should be on the edge of our seat to stare at him and to learn of him and to give ourselves to this this one. Because that is the one common language, no matter what. Person you are, where you've come from, what language you would speak in this world. We have one common language and that's sin. We all speak that language. We all know that language. We all have the common feelings of sin. We all have the common purpose of sin, the common goal of sin. Which is that we're going to live for ourselves and not for God. That's what we're all born with. Every human being. Is exactly the same. I want to live for me and not for God. I want to trust anything else for life except God. I want to seek anything else for happiness except God. We all have a common thrust of our lives. We all are sinners to the core of our being in opposing God's will in our life. God's presence in our life. God's glory as opposed to ours. And in it, we're so deceived that we think we're going to find life in it. And yet it is the corruption of death. And so here is someone to release us, to liberate us from the darkness of our destructive confusion and our destructive implosion of self, one who will release us, one who will set us free from the punishment and guilt of all that we've done and said and thought, from the power and influence of it in our lives. And finally, he will remove every vestige of the presence of it and its misery from us. Behold, the Lamb of God. Takes away the sin of the world and that statement, the world, there's no limit. It's not one people or this people or this kind or that kind. It's open for every human being. It's available to every nation, every people. That's an invitation to you and to me. It's a statement to you and to me. This is for you. Now, I'm going to explore in terms of this statement, the Lamb of God. An aspect of it that is probably not foremost in our minds. But it may have been and probably was foremost in John's mind as he spoke it. And I think it's important that we pull the threads apart And explore this glorious aspect of his being the Lamb of God. And then next week probably get to what we more think of when we hear that phrase Lamb of God. Because we think automatically Lamb of God who dies in the place of sinners. Bearing our punishment and taking away that punishment for sin. And so he is. And so we think the ultimate meaning of this Passage is that, and that John the Evangelist certainly means it to be that. We have to remember, though, that as was with Caiaphas later in John, who made a grand pronouncement about the Lord Jesus, that Caiaphas, even in that position, as the chief priest who was m- making pronouncements within the framework of Judaism, John uses that as a Accurate pronouncement and declaration of Christ that meant far more than Caiaphas understood it to mean. Or you think of the sign that was put over Jesus and what was intended by the Romans who put it there, that he's the king of the Jews. And even the Jewish leader said, no, no, he said he was the key. Don't put that up there. And yet, in God's providence, the declaration was there. He is king of the Jews and no more glorious king than here as the suffering one. Though the Jews themselves at that point hardly recognized that. And so with John, it is entirely possible that as he made declaration of Jesus as the Lamb of God, he understood some of what that meant. But not all of what that meant. And so we want to look at that aspect of it. Now, why do I say this? Remember passages like this in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. Peter speaks of the prophets that went before us in the Old Testament. Peter before he and the apostles, before him and the apostles. And he said that they sought in their own prophecies, prophecies that contain the sufferings and the and the glories to follow of the Messiah. They searched to see when these things would occur and what kind of person could be spoken of in these prophecies. Now, you see then that the prophets became students of their own prophecies. Because these were given to them by God. And so they became students trying to explore all the meaning of the very things that they declared. And Peter says this is what happened. And they realized that they were even speaking for future generations. That these things were going to open up more fully and be fulfilled in future generations. And be understood in future generations where they wouldn't have an understanding. And that indeed has happened. Now we go to Old Testament prophecies with an understanding of them that they themselves couldn't have had because we've seen God come in the flesh. And that revelation breaks back into the Old Testament to light up all of the details and features where Christ was found in the Old Testament. Think also in Ephesians chapter three, where Paul in speaking of. The prophets that went before or the the uh, ones who spoke the word in the past, he says this when you read this of what we write, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. And so there are many aspects That remain mysteries to the prophets in the Old Testament. And John is considered one of those Old Testament prophets, as Jesus himself says. He says greater in the kingdom of God is the least than even this greatest of prophets, John the Baptist. To emphasize how glorious is the revelation and unveiling of the New Testament of of Christ. That even the greatest of those, John. Uh, Did not understand what we will understand in Christ. So for these reasons, I think it's appropriate that we can say there are certain aspects of the Lamb of God that even John did not fully realize. Did John fully realize that this was none other than the Son of God who would actually die in the place of sinners? Well, let's look at a few aspects of John's proclamation. Proclamation. To give us some context of what he may have meant. And I'm hoping that there's going to be a a new understanding a fuller, richer understanding of this phrase, the Lamb of God as a result. So I'm not trying to hide anything or, or cut back. I'm trying to show how glorious and rich this concept is of the Lamb of God. First of all, you recall that John spoke in the Gospels. Of the great power and judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me read. And if you'd like to turn there, you can in uh, Luke chapter three. Luke chapter three, this is in the book right before John, if you're unfamiliar. And you will see many of the phrases of that we've already read in John one here In John chapter in in Luke chapter three, I'm going to be reading from verse 15 of Luke three. But I want you to notice how the emphasis for John is one of judgment, even as he also talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, because that's mentioned and it's going to play in our understanding of what he's talking about in John one. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. We've read that from John. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now you'll notice in all of his proclamation of Christ, there's no specific mention that this is the one who's coming to die for your sins. But he announces that this is the one who will baptize with Holy Spirit. And he will baptize with fire. So this is a a baptism in which there is power made known. Judgment is made known. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He's clearing the threshing floor. He's gathering the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So that's the first thing to realize that the overall message of John was this. Judgment, this entrance of the Messiah who is coming in to clean the floor. And in that sense, you see, John may have thought uh, had mostly in his mind he will remove sin from the earth. You see, when it says the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he is coming to clean house. Okay, he's the mighty Lamb who is coming to clean house He's going to pour out his spirit and he's going to pour out fire. Secondly, we have not only the general tone of what John preached, but we have John's questioning of Jesus in Matthew 11 and in Luke 7. In those two passages, John is in prison and he sends a message by two of his followers to Jesus. And the question is, are you the Messiah or should we be looking for another one? Are you the coming one or is it another one? And it's rather odd because it comes after he hears of the miracles of Christ. And you think, duh. I mean, you and I do. We think, well, John, of course he's. He's manifesting miracles. Who do you think this would be manifesting such miracles, pouring forth such mercy as he is? How could you question that? But that tells us something about John's conception of the coming of Messiah. There's more mercy here, more goodness and grace being poured out. And here's John himself in prison, and it doesn't look like he's going to get out. So in terms of the winnowing, in terms of fire, in terms of sin being removed from the earth and the wicked being judged and the righteous being upheld. This doesn't look right, John's thinking. This isn't exactly what I was thinking. And are you the Messiah or are you not? But this again reinforces the fact that even the miracles of mercy we sh- shaking John. They were rattling his cage a bit as terms of Messiah. Much more so, perhaps, the mercy of actually dying in the place of sinners. Now, this doesn't mean that John was wrong. It means that much of what he was proclaiming about Christ is actually going to take place in the last day. The winnowing of the earth, you see, the judgment of the lamb, which we will read about in a minute from Revelation. And that lamb cleans house and he's called the lamb as well. Well, also, here's a fourth thing to bear in mind, is that in Jewish. What's called apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. Uh, writing, writing that speaks of latter times and the future and what was going to happen in places like the Testament of Joseph, we read that there will be one, a lamb like a lion. All the beasts rushed against him, the lamb and the lamb overcame them and destroyed them and trod them underfoot. And because of him, the angels and men of all the earth rejoiced. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom which shall not pass away. And so there was this idea in the Jewish thought of one who was going to come as a lion slash lamb But this lamb was one of great power, of great judgment, a conqueror in the world. And so it seems that this is a strong aspect of what John was proclaiming. And it's not to be lost as we add to that and fill out the rich understanding of who the lamb is. That this lamb who is going to conquer the world, this lamb who is going to bring judgment and overcome all the nations, is also the lamb that lays down his life for sinners. And the richness and beauty and panorama of this person goes off the charts. How can he be, as we will see, the suffering servant who bears the sins of many. The picture of the lamb of the Passover. The picture of the lamb offered morning and evening and all the helplessness and bloodiness and bearing sin. And yet he's the majestic lamb that conquers the world. He is all of this, the Lord Jesus Christ Christ. Then finally, just to mention this, we need to stick to the context and to see that as John describes how Jesus was revealed to him in this context, he says, I myself did not know him. That doesn't mean he didn't know Jesus because he was a relative, but until God revealed to John that this is the one John, with revelatory certainty, couldn't declare him to be the one, the Messiah. And so he said, I myself, verse 31, did not know him, but I came for the purpose baptizing so that he would be revealed. I saw the spirit descend and I recalled the that God had said to me. The one on whom you see the spirit descend, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, interestingly, when he sees that this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, he declares then this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And back in Luke, those notions of baptism with the Holy Spirit are associated with what? The winnowing of the floor. Baptism of the Holy Spirit and with fire. And he's coming to clean house now. And so it appears that John is taking this grand and glorious picture of this mighty lamb who will come and conquer. And he's declaring him. This is that powerful lamb of God who's going to remove sin from the earth. Behold, the lamb of God. He's the one that baptizes in the spirit. And when you then. And I want to close by going to uh, the book of Revelation, if you will, turn to the back of your Bibles. And this book is full of that same uh, Jewish, what's called apocalyptic, that is a revelation appearance of what's going to happen in the last days or in the latter times, which we have been in now for 2000 years. But the word lamb is chocked. This this book is chock full of that word. And so it has echoes of those Jewish statements that we just read of, of the glorious, victorious lamb who is to come. For instance, you read of the lamb in chapter five, verse six, and it says that he has seven horns. Well, the horns are signs of power. So here's that lamb. Lamb. Spoken of in Jewish history, I think the lamb that John is proclaiming and now here's John, the evangelist, John, the Baptist proclaimed him. And now John, the the evangelist, as the lamb who has seven horns and seven eyes, showing his uh, knowledge, his perfection, his infinite nature, his all power, seven horns. You see the perfect number. He has unlimited power, unlimited wisdom and knowledge, omniscience. That is this glorious lamb. We read it several times that he alone is able to open the seals that reveal what is going to happen next. He's the controller of history. This mighty lamb. We read also in chapter seven, verse 17, this mighty lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, here's the lamb removing sin from the earth, removing the consequences of sin and the misery of sin from the earth, because he's the mighty lamb who can be their shepherd, who can bring them life, who can wipe away every tear. This glorious lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And that's why later in chapter twenty two. It says of this lamb, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it. That is the new city of God. You see, it's the throne, the rule of the lamb that enables us to forever be free of the curse. He does come to remove sin from the world, this mighty Lamb. We read also in chapter 17, and this is a more familiar passage, perhaps in verse 14, all of those that are raised up against the lamb. And this sounds so much like that passage in uh, the Jewish work of Joseph. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. The lamb is the Lord of lords and king of kings. The lamb is the absolute ruler and all powers will come against him and he will defeat them all. So you see, one aspect of what John the Baptist is proclaiming is sometimes lost, and that is the exalted power of this lamb. The glory of this lamb. And therefore, the awful judgment of this lamb. If you turn with me to chapter six. And as I've said before, I think these are some of the most terrible words. I don't mean wrong, but hard to read words in the whole of the Bible. It begins in verse 12 with the great earthquake, the sun becoming black, the moon becoming like blood. That's the picture In the uh, Old and New Testament of all the powers of the earth, because the sun is the ruler of the day and the moon, the ruler of the night. And this is the indication that all powers of the earth are being shattered and brought low at this point. Stars of the sky fell to the earth. Then the sky vanished like a scroll. Every mountain and island was removed. Verse 15, the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and then everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? That sounds like John the Baptist's Lamb who's coming to winnow To come to burn up the chaff. And here's the lamb manifesting himself in his great power in that final day. And as I believe, Revelation is told in a sequence of six or seven uh, full histories of the world. And it goes back and tells that history again and again. And each time it unveils the judgment upon the wicked and the salvation of the righteous to give comfort to people in every age. And in chapter 14, verse 10, it says of the beast and all those who receive the mark, he will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb specifically points that out. In the presence of the Lamb. And in the context of the New Testament, what is so terrible and frightening about this is the Lamb is the only one who can save you. The Lamb is the only one who can wash you free of your sin and rescue you from your sin. And if you reject the Lamb and if He now is coming to judge you, who will save you? What will save you? Crying out to be hidden from wrath. Can you imagine? Crush me? I would rather be crushed and obliterated by the mountains than to face the wrath of the Lamb. I I can't conceive of the horror. And the horror of knowing that this one whom I refused now has become my judge and there is no hope when the Lamb comes to judge. But it speaks in Revelation in chapter 7, verse 14 of those who've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It speaks... And we don't have time for all these passages of the worship and delight in the Lamb in Revelation 5 and Revelation 7 and how they crowd around him and offer him praises because he is worthy, because he has shed his blood and died. And then we read in chapter 19 of the marriage supper of the Lamb and the bride and wife of the Lamb in chapter 21, verse 9. Do you see that you can be the bride and wife of this glorious lamb and have him remove every vestige finally of sin from your life? And every vestige of the misery of sin from your life in that final day. And progressively through your life to be made more and more like Him. Giving yourself in love to other people. And giving yourself more and more freely to God. And finding what you were made for. To live for God. He will be your Savior now. Right now. And you can be one of those who is Washed His robes in the blood of the Lamb. You can be white now. You don't have to wait another second. You don't have to work it out. You don't have to Right now, you can have all of your sins forgiven because He is the Lamb who died for sinners. I urge you. We began in Psalm 15 with those who worship idols. And the sad thing when idols have your heart, and that is anything but God, then you gradually conform to your idol and the destruction and corruption, the staleness and the sterility of it and the deadliness of it. And the great tragedy that you could have had the lamb. And he offers himself to you. Will you not say, oh, Lord Jesus. Jesus. Mighty Lamb of God, I give myself to you afresh. Or perhaps I give myself to you for the first time. Lord, I know I've never really trusted you. I've never put my life in your hands and said, Lord, rescue me. Save me from my love of sin. Save me from all the guilt of my sin. Make me clean. Change me. And Lord, keep me until that final day when I will be completely delivered. And be where the water of life pours forever. Let us pray.